Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. I'd like to share uh, briefly tonight why that I am so passionate about having access to a Bible study like the one that we're going to demonstrate here tonight. Amen. Because it allows us to look through the lens of a restoration impulse. Now, a restoration impulse simply is a desire for the church of the 21st century to restore itself back to the original mission and model method that the early church used to reach, connect, and to disciple their community. Church, the pattern matters. Look at your neighbor and say, the pattern matters. The pattern matters because it validates and authenticates God's will, purpose, and plan for the church of the 21st century. So allow me to ask this congregation a sincere question tonight based off of Jesus' command to go and to make disciples. If I stood here tonight and if I told you that we can reach this city in a short period of time if we followed the evangelistic pattern that we see in the book of Acts, would you be interested? And would you be willing to participate by a raising of hands? Praise God. That's encouraging. Look at your neighbor and say, we can do this. Praise God. Praise God. You see, when Jesus commissioned us to go in Matthew 28, 19, in essence, what he was really saying was go and live daily intentional lives. And in the process, take people with you. Amen. Take people with you. We don't need to reinvent the Great Commission Church. We just need to fulfill it. Remember, it was Jesus who charged us to have a go mentality. The church isn't just a place that we go to, but it's a place that we go from. Come on, somebody. So let's learn to get comfortable in getting outside these four walls, and let's get comfortable being the church. Come on, somebody. Let's get comfortable being a sermon outside these four walls. Come on, somebody. Let's get comfortable being an altar call. Let's get comfortable praying for people outside these four walls because we carry these dynamics wherever we go. Praise God. The church in Acts was steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and in prayer. This Bible study can be structured to do just that, to facilitate those four evangelistic components of Apostles' Doctrine will be facilitating through the Apostles' Doctrine Fellowship, which is a component of this Bible study where you get together and you barbecue in your home, in your backyard, or you barbecue as a group out in the community. You go to a park, and then there's the, the fellowship, then there's the breaking of bread, which is not the same thing. I think I'm echoing the words of someone that said it earlier, to impart the word. Breaking bread is to impart the word, and that is the evangelistic thrust of the component of this Bible study. Right. Now, this is facilitated from house to house. These groups meet from house to house throughout the whole region, and in just a, for, uh, a short period of time, in meeting house to house, 
Luke penned under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost by Acts chapter 5, that you have filled the city of Jerusalem with your doctrine. We can do that, church. If, if we get a passion for that, we can do that. Now, Elements is a Bible study from Pentecostal Publishing House, and it's structured to be very user-friendly. All you have to basically do with a leader's guide is follow what it's telling you. It gives you the answers, the scriptures, and the questions. Everybody under the sound of my voice could teach this Bible study. It's intended to foster weekly discussion and interaction so that participants can come to the group, internalize truth, and bring it home with them so that we can close the back door for church retention. Praise God. Each session is scalable. You can either condense or expand the content as needed. Groups leaders, you'll have four main teaching points based on participants reading and discussing key scriptures that correspond with each point. Now, briefly, just in navigating these sessions, you'll receive a group leader guide, participant guides. Commentary will also be provided for you in this guide so you can navigate discussion and it'll have special commentary for sections that emphasize certain questions that leaders can anticipate. Also provided will be a video USB in which I'm electing tonight to launch our study with. It's an awesome and impacting testimony just as a picture paints a thousand words. You'll also receive certificates in this kit for a completion of the modules. There's four modules. There's six Bible studies in each module. There's foundational elements, relational elements, doctrinal elements in which we will be taking our study from tonight, and lifestyle elements for a total of 24 weeks of study. So welcome to Elements, Module 3, Lesson 4, The New Birth. Let's stand together and pray for God's hand in this session tonight. Glory to God. Now, each session, each session always begins and ends with prayer. So let's do that right now. Father, we're thankful for your goodness and mercy. Father, we bind every spirit that would oppose the work of the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask you now to loose angels that excel in strength to encamp round about this house, Lord. Ministering spirits sent forth to minister unto the heirs of salvation. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, would you put your hands together and magnify the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. God has been good to us. My brother was a little upset at me because I didn't go see him as much as I should have been when he was in prison. But I was in the attic. Um, I was in and out of the streets. And I just didn't feel like I was worthy of anything, especially God's love. He could love someone like me. Um, I was ashamed and I wasn't a good mom already and I was so young. And I didn't, I didn't know who God was. We had some Catholic upbringing, maybe a little bit of Jehovah Witness too, right? Yes. Um, but we didn't know who God was. And, but we did have faith. We would pray. Um, we would pray for our mother because she was all we had. Mm -hmm. Our mother just died two years ago. Um, we, weren't, 
we we weren't able to completely uh, get my mom off of, of drinking and drugging. Um, and we just recently buried her. Um, and it was one of the hardest things we had to do. Amen. But it was because of God and our relationship with him that we are actually still here and standing um, even through it all. On that note, I'm just going to say that I came in here eight and a half years ago and I was I was so angry. I was so mad. I was mad at God. I was mad at my mom. I was mad at my dad. I was mad at my brother. I was just mad at myself. I was mad at life. I just so full of anger. Um, and I came here because my daughter invited me. She was 12 or 13 years old at that time. And um, I came in here and I have never experienced or felt the presence of God like I did that day. They love us here. They even put they us really on, they even put us on the front page of the, the of yeah. the paper that they had when we got baptized. Amen. Blew us away because like who would want us? Right. Little Mexican kids on the front page. But that's how we felt though. Right. And um they just loved us. And we came in with our chucks on and our tinny shoes, our blue rags, you know, we were just wanna be gangsters with and we came in here and I went to the altar because I was so heavy and I couldn't even move. All I could do is just bask in God's presence. It changed my life. Yes. And it changed all of my family's yeah. life one by one. Yeah. We've had over 150 people come from our neighborhood. Yeah, and have them filled with the Holy Ghost because, because we surrendered to God. I always knew I was a leader. We always Amen. were. Um, we just led people to do the bad things. Um, mm -hmm. And then now we lead people to do the good things. But ever since I stepped in this church, I've been sober um, for going on eight years. And it's a 19-year addiction I had since I was 11 years old. Um, I, too, have been in and out of prison. Um, I spent about 10 years of my life in and out of jails, Safe P, um, State Jail, ISF, um, halfway houses, rehabs, boot camp. It's a combination of things that just nothing, nothing changed my life. Nothing worked for me, no matter what. Yeah. There's a scripture that um, I stand on where it says that much is, much is forgiven and much is required. And so that's what me and my brother do. We love unconditionally um, if I can be a vessel for God in any way I'm gonna do it because I was I I was a follower of the enemy I, I led for him and I'm going to lead for God and my brother in any way I can even if it's in my dress or in my speech or in anything that I do I want to represent Jesus wholeheartedly the testimony we've just heard is a powerful example of how God can radically transform anyone's life. When we come to Jesus, he erases our past sins and gives us a fresh start in a process that we call the new birth. Today, we're going to look to God's word to learn what it has to say about this foundational element of our spiritual lives. First, we'll discuss our need to recognize that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that ultimately he rose again to redeem us. We'll then explore how we can respond to that good news and apply his sacrifice to our lives through repentance, water baptism, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. This experience is what Jesus called being born again, and this new birth can transform your life and the lives of everyone that you know. It's time now to look to God's word and 
discuss this important topic together. Feel free to ask questions today throughout this time of discussion. And after the session is over, we strongly encourage you to spend time this week in prayer and in reviewing the Bible passages that are listed in your participants' guide. God bless you today as we celebrate being born again. Praise God. So let's begin by taking a look at our first of four key points by reading and filling in each of the blanks as we navigate through and discuss this essential first session, our response to the gospel. So in your booklets, you'll go to point number one. I'll read and together we'll fill in the blanks. Our sinful nature separates us from our holy God. However, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to redeem us from our sins. We respond to this good news, the gospel, and apply it to our lives when we are born again. Now, it's at, that's, it's at this point that the group leader will ask a volunteer to read the first text for our first point. So I'll need a volunteer to read Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, and verses 36 through 39. Who'd like to help us? I'll be glad to. Starting with verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the uh, determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Jumping down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both uh -huh. Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord our God shall call. Awesome. Thank you. So based off of what we just read in our text, let's go to our first question. And the question simply is, what was the response of the crowd when Peter was confronted with them with the reality that Jesus was crucified as part of God's plan? Who would like to help us with that? I could. Um, it basically said, what shall we do? What shall we do? And the neat thing about this here is if you notice in your booklets, the answer is actually found right there in your booklet. So you see how there's this pattern here that you can just follow along with. It's very easy. It's very user-friendly. Let's go to the uh, second question based off of what we just read in our text. What did Peter tell them to do in response to the realization that Jesus was crucified for them? Who'd like to answer that? Yeah, I'll jump back in. Uh, just said repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Praise God. That's good. Okay, so if you'll notice in this third question, there is no scripture there for an answer. So what that means is that this next question is actually open for group discussion. And this question is, is this promise still for us today? Who would like to answer or who would like to discuss? Uh, I'll jump in there. It, it seems like the promise is it said that it was for everyone. Yes. But if I don't, if I can, what we just went over, what is the Holy Ghost? What are they talking about there? What is the Holy Ghost? Yeah, where he said that repent and be baptized in Jesus' name and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. 
Well, the Holy Ghost is an initial evidence that when God, because God's invisible, you can't see God, right? So God chose the tongue as an unruly member to govern your body. When, when you are filled with God's spirit, you will know it because you will speak in another language. That word tongue there is actually language. And you will speak in another language that you had never learned. It's like when they, that's why they were so astonished in the book of Acts in the second chapter, because they said, aren't they which speak Galilean? So they were astonished because they weren't educated, but yet they were speaking in everyone that was coming to Pentecost in their languages, the wonderful works of God. So when God fills you with his spirit, you will know it because you will speak in another language. God. Thanks. Actually, I'm going to be honest with you. He just threw a curve at me because I didn't know he was going to shoot that at me. So you got to see a, you got to see a real objection and how to overcome it in real time. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. That's awesome. So Peter's answer still applies to us today. We should repent, be baptized in Jesus name and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And as we study the book of Acts and how the first century church operated in mission model and method, we will see that without exception that new believers follow Peter's answer for salvation. And salvation simply means deliverance from the power and effects of sin, which comes by grace through a faith. Response. Grace is a gift from God, church, that we cannot earn. Saving faith means to both accept and to obey the gospel by responding and applying it to our lives. We obey the gospel by repentance, which is a type of death to sin, baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus, which is a type of burial with Christ, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is a type of new life or resurrection in Christ. This is the response of the biblical expression of saving faith. And Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is the only biblical answer, amen, to the sincere question, what shall we do? Let's go now to our second point. Second point, repentance. And I'm going to read, and let's fill in the blanks together. Now, our new birth begins with repentance, or a turning away from sin. Jesus paid the price for our sins and is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us when we repent. So I'm going to need a volunteer to read 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 1. Who would like to help us? I could do that. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Yes. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. So based off of the text that we just read, let's take a look at our first question under our second topic of point of repentance. Question number one, what cleanses us from our sin? Who would like to answer? I'll answer that. Um... The answer is in verse 7 when it says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. Good. That's good. That's correct. 
Okay, so let's go to question number two now, based off of what we read. What happens when we confess our sins? Who'd like to answer that? Yeah. Uh, verse 9 said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us. Yes, amen. That's correct. And question number three, as you see again that there is no scripture there indicating that there is a specific answer, this would be open for group discussion, is repentance a one-time act? Why or why not? Who would like to help us with that? I say no. Uh, it's not a one-time act. We've got plenty of and scriptures. Why, why would you say that? Because, you know, talking about I'll die, I need to die daily. Yes. Crucifying the flesh is not a one-time event. It's a daily event. It's a daily thing. And it's that type of death, which is repentance, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good. So repentance is a turn from sin to God. It involves intellectual change. The Apostle Paul charged us to gird up the loins of our mind. We have to exercise discipline by casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God so that there can be a bringing into captivity of every thought to the obedience of Christ. For instance, if I have a thought that I think is in question, I just simply cut it off from playing out. It's like the old timers used to say, I mean, if, if a bird's flying over your head, you can't keep that from happening, but you can keep that bird from making a nest here in your head. So repentance involves intellectual change. It also involves emotional change. Jesus said in Matthew 5, for instance, to love your enemies, bless them and curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. So the complete work of forgiveness, church, comes through repentance and water baptism. Repentance prepares the way for personal relationship with God, qualifies us for baptism of water and spirit. So let's go to our third topic, water baptism, our third point. I'll read and let's fill in the blanks together. Being born again involves being baptized in water by immersion in the name of Jesus. Baptism is for the forgiveness or remission of sins, and it identifies us with Jesus. I'll need a volunteer to read Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. I got you. In chapter 19, starting verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have thee... Have ye received the gift of the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy mm -hmm. Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Right. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul said, when, when, Paul, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on mm -hmm. them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. All right. Good job, buddy. Okay, so based off of what we just read, let's go to our first question. Is all baptism equal in the sight of God? Who'd like to help us with that? I'll be glad to. Uh, I'd say no. Uh, if it was equal, they would have no need to be rebaptizing these folks that were baptized under right. John's baptism. Right, good point. Yeah, I like that. Uh, but I got a question. Um, 
I got some relatives that are baptized, and they did it in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Is that cool, or does God know how that works? Or Well, God definitely knows how it works. Um, unfortunately, it's not biblical. We'll take this opportunity just to show you a little bit about what an objection looks like and, and how you would basically overcome that. That was a good question, by the way. But um, basically, what you would just want to do at this point is just say, you know, that's a good question. What we'd probably need to do at this point is just write down your question. We'll set it aside for either after the Bible study or we'll address it uh, as soon as we can or at another time. If you felt comfortable enough, maybe you can uh, go a little bit further with that and just basically say, you know, when Jesus said to go and baptize in the name, notice that it's singular. And notice that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are titles, right? Father's not a name, Son's not a name, Holy Spirit's not a name. Those are titles. So every account of baptism, like the one that Marco uh, read in Acts 19.5, was in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you'll find that there's five accounts of baptism, and every account has the covenant name, Jesus. Praise God. Good question. So based off of that, does that make sense, church? You see how that works? This is not very difficult. It's, it's, it's nice because... You get an opportunity to actually teach in a group setting. You've got group support. Basically, you have a group leader, an intern, uh, two church laity, and then you, there's room there for that group to uh, bring in to get people to come to your Bible study, and then that group would be added, 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 and then at 12 people, the point there is at, at that certain season for that group to multiply and to break off and take six people from this group, and that intern would become a group leader. So you see how that works? That's how, in the, New, in the New Testament, they had exponential growth. They went from addition to multiplication, echoing your words from last week's uh, study. Praise God. You know what we're going to do for a sake of time? We'll take one or two more questions, and then um, I want to actually take an opportunity, because I think it's very important that we under, understand a little bit about what happens outside the four walls uh, what the language of a discipleship maker looks like, uh, why there's um, people that feel the way that they feel when they go out and, and engage in a conversation and how to overcome that, that I'm going to call it that dirty word, fear. That's typically what happens. So I'll, we'll, we'll answer one or two more questions, and then I'm going to go ahead and dismiss from the table and just minister to that for a moment. So question number two. What did the people do to take on the name of Jesus? Who wants to help us with that? I'll take that. Um, in verse 5, it says they were baptized in Jesus' name. Baptized in Jesus' name. That's correct. Praise God. So you see, there's another, another uh, confirmation that people that were baptized were baptized in Jesus' name. He's giving me the fish eye over here. <laughs> Question number three. What happened after they were baptized? Who wants to help us with that? I'll, I'll, I'll take that one there as well. Uh, they received the Holy Ghost, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Okay, praise God. Praise God. That's good. So let's go to our fourth and final point for this evening, spirit baptism. Point number four. I'm going to read, and let's fill in the blanks together. The new birth includes spirit baptism and filling of the Holy Ghost. When we receive the Holy Ghost, we receive resurrection power and are equipped to walk in newness of life through the Spirit. I'm going to need a volunteer to read Romans chapter 6, 3 through 5. Who wants to read that? I'll read that. All right. So Verse ahead. 3, it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into the death, 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Good. Okay, so based off of what we just read, we'll answer one question and then we'll dismiss from the table. Question number one. In baptism, we identify with Jesus what? Who wants to help us with that? I'll take that one too. All right. Through his burial. Through his burial, correct. Repentance is death to the old man, and baptism identifies us with his burial. And that word in the Greek there means to submerge. Amen. So let's conclude with that. Let's put our hands together for our group. Thank them for doing such an awesome job. You can return to your seats. And I just want to take a moment here to kind of share a little bit about what happens outside of the four walls. Praise God. Now, the Apostle Paul, he said to follow me as I follow Christ. A lot of times when we think of discipleship, we think that that's just for new converts, but that's simply not true. When he said to follow me as I follow Christ, he was talking about continual discipleship. He was perhaps the most effective New Testament soul winner ever recorded in the book of Acts. Now, I want to take my approach from Acts chapter 19 where Marco took his text because actually, um, to me, that, that looks like a survey approach. Paul asked a couple uh, compelling questions that yielded positive responses. So I want to talk a little bit about the language of a discipleship maker. Now, Paul understood that in order to be effective in the arena of evangelism, he would need to develop the language of a discipleship maker and ask compelling questions that yielded positive responses through the art of persuasion. Jesus endorsed this language. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 23, we read where Jesus commanded his servant to get outside the four walls, get out into the streets and do what? Compel them. To come in. Why? That his house may be full. That is the language of a discipleship maker. Now, compelling also is the language of a discipleship maker. Compelling questions induce a person to respond when communicated through the art of persuasion. Yes, to compel and to persuade is helpful for a discipleship maker to advance the gospel. Paul penned under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in 2 Corinthians 5 and 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Yes, both to compel and to persuade is the language of a discipleship maker. Now, in order to become more comfortable in the arena of evangelism, it would be good that we would need to learn how to both to expose and to disarm the enemy so that we can walk in wisdom toward them that are without and redeem the time. How many of you know the time is short? Yes. Yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and 11, Paul penned under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now you might be thinking, well, how do we give Satan advantage? We give Satan advantage, church, when we lack confidence in a scriptural skill set. And when you don't know how to respond or what to say, that's the moment that we take the bait and yield to this trap and this device called fear. 
Proverbs 29, 25, the writer penned that the fear of a man, it's a dirty word, but it's there, bringeth a snare. That word snare there in the Hebrew means bait or trap. Bait or trap. You see, the thief cometh not, church, but to steal. Steal what? The first thing that the enemy looks to strip from you is your confidence in our missional call to reach, connect, and to disciple our community. I got some good news tonight, though. We have access to some weapons. And one of those weapons is boldness. Boldness is defined as a willingness to take risk and act. There were no spectators in the book of Acts, church. The people in the book of Acts, they ran after humanity with everything they had. And the scripture said that they hazarded their lives for the name of Jesus. Yes, boldness means to take risk and act. But it also means confidence or quality of how one carries himself. The enemy operates, church, a lot like a pickpocket. Now, I'm from Chicago. That's, that's just the way, what I'm used to. But a pickpocket and our enemy operate a lot alike. A pickpocket typically will look for somebody that carries themselves, that's unsure of themselves, or somebody that um, has low self-esteem or whatever, and they will feed off of that, and they will pass on the person that is walking armed with confidence. And that's exactly how the enemy approaches us. I'm talking about confidence, church, not in yourself, not in your own ability, but in your missional call and mandate to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, 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 and you of a reason of the hope that's within you. Put your hands together and magnify the King of Kings. Now, when we study scripture and pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in the knowledge of him, what begins to happen is the Lord begins to arm you with confidence. In Acts chapter 4, you know what the church did? The church prayed for confidence. They prayed, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all what? With all boldness we may speak thy word. Paul penned to the Ephesians just that. He was looking for an open door, an unction, or an utterance that he may open his mouth boldly with confidence to make known the mystery of the gospel. To have boldness, church, is to have confidence. And believe it or not, its synonym is free swinging. Pastor, I'm going to tap into that vein you were in last Sunday morning, if you don't mind. The fast track to confidence is realizing, church, that failure is your friend. You see, the minute that you give yourself permission to fail is the minute that you begin to disarm the enemy. Because when you give yourself permission to fail, you're disarming the enemy. And when you give yourself permission to fail, it builds confidence. Everybody say confidence. The moment we give ourselves permission to fail is the moment that we disarm the enemy. Amen. Now, speaking of free swinging, it was Tony Gwynn who stepped to the plate for the 5,113th time, failing to reach base. Now, man, that's a lot of trips to the plate, failing to reach first base, right? But you see, earlier in that same game, Tony got his 3,000th hit. He reached a milestone that only 21 other Major League Baseball players reached that milestone at that particular time. You see, he realized that he would have to make a lot of trips to the plate and failed to reach first base. Now, did that stop him, church? 
No, that didn't stop him because he realized that it was the law of averages. You see, he realized that in order to get base hits, he'd have to make a lot of outs. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is when you go out and you witness to somebody and, and they say, I'm not interested or no or whatever, don't get discouraged. Get encouraged. You know why? Because failure is your friend. For every no you get, you're that much closer to getting a yes. And that's what builds confidence. Don't get discouraged. Know you're due for a positive response. Praise God. So I want to show you briefly a little bit about how this looks with the words of compelling and the words of persuasion. Now, this right here is probably the most effective tool that we have in this church. And quite frankly, I'm thinking that there should be none of these cards left on that stand out there after I demonstrate this because this works. This is what slows people down, and this is what gives you an opportunity. It's a lot cheaper than a billboard, by the way. Um, this is what gives you an opportunity to talk to them about your church. So the first thing I want to point out is when I'm walking up to somebody and I feel an unction to say something, I, an unction, what do I mean by that? This overflooding or pouring of emotion toward that person. And I'm like, well, I know the Lord wants me to speak to this person. What I don't do is say, would you like one of these? Anybody ever do that? Say, hey, would you like one of these? Okay, now I'm going to I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm going to ask that a different way. Instead of saying, hey, did you would you like one of these? I'm going to say, hey, did you get one of these? And when I do that, it creates a curiosity. Now you slow down and you go, no, what is it? And you're holding out your hand. It's a natural reaction to take that card. And now they're looking at it. And as they're looking at it. You begin to talk a little bit about your church, Calvary Tabernacle. And you begin to say, hey, man, we're just passionate about connecting with God and connecting with the community. And matter of fact, that's what I'm out here doing right now. Here's your meet and greet. By the way, I'm Mark. What's your name? I'm Kevin. I say, Kevin, man, it's a pleasure to meet you. Now, if that's where your confidence level ends, that's fine. What you've done is you've just made a connection and you've planted a seed. Now you're going to ask God to give the increase, right? So let's say you're a little bit more comfortable than that, and let's say you want to get to a stage where you qualify the person. And qualifying a person, it looks a little bit like this. I'll basically say, Kevin, man, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're excited about everything I've had to say about Calvary Tabernacle, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that. I'm going to say, you know, i got to ask you a question. Why? Because I value your opinion. And I don't say why, but I just say I value your opinion. And I say, if, if you were looking for a church, what does that look like? What, what would you be looking for in a church? And everything that he's going to say, I already know we got it going on here. He's going to say, man, we got dynamic preaching. Or he's going to say, I'm looking for dynamic preaching, and I, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, impacting uh, teaching, and I, I'm looking for an amazing choir in the presence of God, and I'm going to be going, yeah, yeah, we got all that. Man, that sounds exactly like everything that we offer here at Calvary Tabernacle. That's exciting. And if I don't hear anything about Bible study, I'm going to insert that in there for him because he's already telling me all about all the things that he'd be looking for in a church. And I'm saying, you, you, you believe it's important to prove your understanding the Bible, right? And he's going to say, well, absolutely. And I'm saying, man, Kevin, I, I'm, I'm glad you believe it's important to prove your understanding of the Bible. Now, here's, here's my close. I'm going to tell him a little bit about what's going on here, how we pray together. We break open the word of God together. We go out and do things in the community together. Here's my close. What would keep you from coming? And I zip it because the next person that speaks loses. <laughs> you know what they usually say? Just like that gentleman that came to church with me on Sunday, he said, nothing would keep me from coming. At that point, I'm pulling out my phone. Hey, let's, let's get your number, man. I want to connect with you. And I'm going to pull out my phone, and I'm going to 
say, you know, what's your number? And I'm going to say, now I'm going to shoot you my number so you got my number so we can connect. And I just want to make sure that he's not giving me the phone number to Dairy Queen on the corner. No, but all kidding aside, if they go that far with you, they're very interested. It's very seldom that somebody would go that far with you and then give you a Burger King number, right? So at that point, I get their number, and I just say, look, I'm going to call you during the week. I'm excited about you coming to our Bible study. And uh, that, that's basically how that looks. I don't want to throw too much at you, but that's it. Pastor, God bless you. Come on, let's give them a hand. That's great. Stand with me tonight. I love that little line right there. Next person that speaks loses. <laughs> you know what? I, he wouldn't have expected me, but we've been together in public places. This is just kind of what Brother Trano does. I was with him one time. Confession. Ready? Public confession. I walked right past this person. I smiled, I think, real nice. And I turned around just in time. I could tell he slowed down. He felt a little prompt. I turned around just in time to hear him say, have you got one of these yet? I'm like, wish the pastor was here. He probably would have. <laughs> but you know what I felt? I felt immediately to be reminded this isn't a one-man show. This isn't a two-man show. This isn't a one evangelism. This is a church effort. And we got to ask people, have you met Jesus yet? Did you get one of these yet? I feel a little confidence building right now in the room, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. And she was very interested, wasn't she? It's just amazing. People are receptive. You know what I think people are open to? They're open to kindness. Genuine people that are kind. Okay? What we're trying to do this month is show you different ways, different, different things, different options that work. Not every option is going to be perfect for you, but something's got to work. Something's got to catch and meet us where we are so that we might share the truth about Jesus Christ with others. I loved when Brother Lopez put him on the spot at the table. Because I've been at so many tables. And I saw out of the corner of your eye when you looked at him, I thought, oh, he wasn't ready for that. He wasn't ready for that. He's going to whip Juan later for that. He was not ready for that. He's, you know, and, and we know that the Holy Ghost is not tongues. But tongues is the evidence of the Holy Ghost, which is the Spirit of God. But the average person, I'm going to tell you, that was a nice question, wasn't it? Compared to some questions you might get. The whole write it down, that little tip, that little tactic right there, that is a monopoly, get out of jail free moment. Because I have been asked some questions at a Bible study table where I thought, I'm not even sure if the Lord knows how I should answer this question. <laughs> but I have to say, that is a good question. We're going to get back to that later. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. 